Stuck in traffic in Jackson or Meridian? Or cruising along the coast in Biloxi or Ocean Springs? MPB goes with listeners wherever they go. Your company's message can go along too. Go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting to find out how. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, April 10th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, after some legislative lines are redrawn to include more minority voters, the state wants a court to reconsider. We'll talk about it. Then, what happens when demand outweighs supply at a Delta food pantry? And after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, find out what's on tap at this week's 20th Crossroads Film Festival. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi officials are trying to block a federal judge's ruling to redraw a Senate district, even though the work's already been done. A federal judge ruled District 22 dilutes the black vote. During the recent legislative session, lawmakers passed a new plan after a three-member panel of the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld the ruling. But Governor Phil Bryant and Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman, both Republicans, want the entire Fifth Circuit Court to hear the case. Beth Orlansky is with the Mississippi Center for Justice, which sued the state over the district lines. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the state's appeal is not what she wanted, but it's not unexpected. It's certainly their right to do so. We're not. Uh, we were hoping that the legislature's plan, uh, which seems fair and uh, accomplishes what needs to be accomplished, would have been accepted by all parties and let us move on with this election. But they. Uh, are determined to exhaust all of their appeals quickly as possible. Were you surprised at all? Uh, no. We uh, we expected them to do this. We hoped they wouldn't, but we expected they would. Through conversations with their counsel, we, we, we had indication that this was their plan. Uh, we, we had very much hoped that they would agree that, this, that we were done, but they uh, decided to continue with it. Why is this issue important to the Mississippi Center for Justice? We we are very concerned that people are allowed to elect the the candidates of their choice to uh, elected office, and the way that District 22 was drawn in the 2010 census gave the black voting age population a very very slight, almost non-majority, 50.8 percent, and that has proven not to be enough to actually elect a black candidate. And so with the 58% that the legislature drew or the 62% that was in our proposed plan, we feel like people, the, the majority of people who live in that district will be allowed to elect the, the candidate of their choice. One of the issues that was raised when the Senate looked at redrawing this district was that we have a census next year. And then right. following in the next year, once the census is done, the districts will all be redrawn. So why go through this right now? Well, at this point, we've already done it, um, and we have a new district, and it can be implemented easily, and we're ready to go. Um, the reason that we felt like it was important, there's a, there was only one election under the last 
redistricting plan, and that was the 2015 election. So this would be one election where only one district is changed, but it, it's important for that district to be fairly represented. Uh, and also, the, the Senate that's elected in 2019 will be the Senate that draws the lines for the next census. So th this election is very important, and we don't need to wait till the next time to right or wrong. Judge Reese said that at the very beginning of the case, that if there is a Section 2 violation, it needs to be addressed, regardless of when it is. So ultimately, you're satisfied with how it was redrawn? We, we, we are comfortable with the way the legislature drew the, the district. We can live with that, yes. Now that this request has been filed to have the full Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals hear the case or render a verdict in this a ruling, where does that put you? So they they also they filed two motions yesterday. One was to expedite the appeal, and the second was for the whole Fifth Circuit to hear it at once. And the Fifth Circuit will sit in the second week in May. So if they actually hear this case in their May term, which is much quicker than they would normally do it, then they will have a chance to um, rule on the case and either affirm Judge Reeves' opinion and let us move forward as the legislature has drawn the district, or if they reverse it, then um, it would go back to the way it was before or could, um, in which case the Secretary of State will have a chance before June to um, get the ballots printed. So we'll, we should know by early June exactly what the answer is going to be. Uh, the Fifth Circuit may look at this and say, we're not going to expedite the appeal, we're going to leave it alone, in which case the election will proceed as we have gotten through Judge Reeves' order and the legislature's drawing. Um, that, I'm afraid that's a little convoluted, but <laughs> that, that, so that they'll either get a quick appeal or it'll be left alone. So we, we, we don't know yet, but we should know soon. Okay. Well, Beth Orlansky with the Mississippi Center for Justice, thank you. We really appreciate your time. Thank you, Desiree. The district in question, District 22, is represented by Republican Senator Buck Clark of Hollandale. When senators redrew the district lines, it also changed District 13, represented by Democratic Senator Willie Simmons of Cleveland. Simmons says he thought the legislature had reached a good compromise. Surprised. I heard that it may happen, but I was surprised that it did, especially since the court ordered the Senate to take some action and gave us a deadline as to when uh, we should take the action. The Senate did what the court said, and the Senate, again, addressed the two major concerns that the plaintiffs and the court had, which, again, was the fact that this can be more compact and that it should be more representation of the Mississippi Delta by increasing the BVAP. So I was surprised at that, and I was hoping that with the Senate done, uh, Judge Reeves would accept that the court would, and we would go forward and have an election. Senator Willie Simmons is not seeking re-election in his district because he's running for a different office. Republican Senator Buck Clark represents District 22, the district before the court. He's also not seeking re-election because he's running for a different office. During the session, he told MPB News he disagreed with the notion that his district dilutes the black vote. I think the most upsetting is the timing of it. If this had been asked eight years ago, uh, you know, I think... All sides would have been, you know, maybe we do need to look at. But since next year there's going to be a census, all the districts are going to be redrawn year after next by the legislature. And so it is just so odd that they would wait 
here right before you're going to do it anyway and expend money and time on something like that. So that's just kind of perplexes me that they would do something like that. It's your district. Your thoughts, uh, even though you're not running for re-election, someone will be running for that seat. How is this going to work? Do you understand the reasoning behind it, that there um, isn't an opportunity really for uh, blacks to uh, elect representation that reflects them? Well, I really kind of disagree with that because uh, I've won the district every four times. And I usually got 54, 55% of the vote. They went back and looked at the last time Barack Obama ran in, and they looked at my district. He won my district. He and I got the same votes. Uh, I think Mike Espy got the same votes. So to say African-American can't win that district, I think that's really false. It's been proven that they did. And I think that's kind of discrediting some of my voters, especially my last election, that I was appropriations chairman. I've lived there my whole life. <laughs> I know most folks in the district. And, you know, we, we got along, we worked together, and, you know, they voted for me, a lot of my friends. And so, you know, and again, we've seen where an African-American won in the district. And Senator Buck Clark. Coming up, what happens when demand outweighs supply at a Delta food pantry? Find out next. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is a show all about the culture of Southern flavor. And on April the 22nd, MPB Think Radio will bring you some of the most delicious radio you have ever heard or tasted. I'm Malcolm White, and I, with my friend, restaurateur Carol Puckett, we will share recipes, stories, and talk with you about food that has shaped your home and ultimately the world. That's Deep South Dining returning on April the 22nd, only on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi is the most food insecure state in the nation. One out of five people in the state does not know where their next meal will come from. MPB's Alexandra Watts spends a day in a food pantry to see what happens when demand is larger than supply. It's a Saturday morning in Charleston, and Joe Young and Faith Food Pantry volunteers are getting ready to hand out boxes of food to Tallahatchie County residents at Faith Baptist Church. Normally we serve 350 to 375 people. A month ago we served over 400 on this day, and that was a record crowd for Saturday. According to Feeding America, Mississippi is the most food insecure state in the nation. 20% of Mississippians lack reliable access to a sufficient quality of affordable, nutritious food. Young, a pastor, runs another food pantry at Parchman. He says food distributions are scheduled in the middle of the month on purpose. We do our food pantry uh, in all locations on the third Saturday of the month, thinking that when they run out of food stamps, that we can be their backup. We try to help them out when they're when their month gets longer than their check. Lee Fain is one of those people. He stands outside the church and says his disability check and food stamps are not enough to cover his expenses. I pay the bills. When I'm done paying the bills, I have probably about $48 left, and I go buy hygienes, and they don't have no more left. So, And they send me $75 worth of food stamps, which 
glasses up until about this time of the month, and then you got to eat some things that you don't have. Like, you know, like in our refrigerator, we don't have nothing but chicken and no other meat. We got like four packs of chicken, and we're going to try to make it stretch to the end of the month, right? In the Mississippi Delta, 26% of people are food insecure. There aren't a lot of grocery stores in the area, and Thane says high grocery prices prevent him from buying certain foods. I come and pick up a box and immediately go back to the house, and it helps me out quite a bit because sometimes we don't have the little issues and items that's in there, especially the cereal and, and the fruit. We don't have the money to buy it. Is he just fruit in there? Inside, the volunteers fill the boxes with crackers, cookies, and canned goods. Yeah, we have plenty of meat. We have plenty of meat. Here we go. The final touch added to the boxes is the meat, which today is chicken and turkey. Jimmy Pegues says he does all he can so the food he gets lasts. We, we cook like about three times a week, and, and uh, other time we make sandwich or whatever. I ain't a real big eater, and I try not to waste it. We try not to waste food, cook what you need, and that's it. Pegues lost his leg in an accident over 30 years ago, and today he's a gardener or as his business card says, a yard doctor. He is one of the last to get his box of food, but signing up ahead of time guarantees residents will receive a box. And once everyone who signed up has their box, the rest of the food is given away on a first-come, first-served basis. Thank you, ladies. Weeks of widespread flooding and severe weather have left many Delta residents displaced from their homes. Jeanette Jones says this has increased the demand for more food from the pantry. A lot of people don't have anything. The house was gutted. You know, no food. And uh, we plan to give an extra. All right, folks, we might get one more. I don't know. Uh, we got a truck coming. After nearly three hours of distributing food, Joe Young announces the pantry has run out of food for the first time. But we had such a, an overwhelming crowd. We were understaffed under everything. Come on, sir. We don't have no extra boxes. This is awesome. 26 people add their names and numbers to a waiting list before they leave to receive their boxes of food later in the week. A soft-spoken woman named Glenda Miller comes in as the volunteers are cleaning up. She's told the pantry is out of food. But as she is about to leave, someone inside the pantry flags her down after finding extra food. I jumped out the car, I came in there, and it was a blessing, blessing. She had meat, I got chicken, I got beans, I got rice, I got practically everything I need. Thank God, God good. Miller has three grandchildren and says she doesn't know where she would have gotten food. Quite a while since I've been here, because I had a heart attack, so I hadn't been able to get out, you know, to get my stuff. After I had this heart attack a couple months, and when I finally made it here, I was just happy because I should have had something for me and my grandkids. Joe Young says although the pantry is open only once a month, his job of feeding Tallahatchie County goes beyond just those few hours on a Saturday. Young says they keep their cell phones by their sides day and night, ready to distribute food to anyone in need. I'm not sure we're prepared, but we're always trying to be proactive to be ready. And while the volunteers are done for the day, they already have distribution set up for the upcoming week to help residents in need. Alexandra Watts, MPB News. Coming up, find out what's on tap at this week's 20th Crossroads Film Festival. That's after a Southern Remedy Health Minute. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
A House Judiciary Committee hearing on hate crimes is flooded with hate. Ms. Owen said if Hitler just wanted to make Germany great, okay, fine. I think it's pretty apparent that uh, Mr. Lu believes that black people are stupid. Tackling white supremacy and hate online and on the Hill. That's next time on The Takeaway from WNYC and PRI. Today at 2 on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of pediatrics and internal medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Good morning, Brenda. I have a question about weight loss. I had an A replacement back in 2012, and I wasn't able to be very active. And um, I moved back to Pascagoula uh, five years ago. And I started losing weight because I was able to be more active. But in the last six, nine months, it just keeps dropping off me. I've had a CBC. I have had thyroid tested, but I wasn't too impressed with the doctor. So I'm just wondering if you can point me anywhere else to check. So weight loss can be a vague symptom that may or may not be attached to something else. Let me ask a couple of questions right quick. Have your bowel movements changed in any way? Are you having diarrhea or anything like that? No, I am on opioids, so that would be... The opposite, probably. A couple of things that can cause weight loss, it sounds like they at least check for it once. Now, I'll circle back to the thyroid problems. Certainly hypothyroidism can cause weight gain uh, or hyperthyroidism can cause weight loss. So those two things can do that or anything that's speeding up your metabolism. So it doesn't have to be related to the thyroid. The thing about the thyroid is depending on when the testing was done, it may need to be repeated. So a lot of times we'll repeat a, a thyroid test six to eight weeks after the first one uh, just to get a better picture because it, it changes slowly. The TSH changes uh, more quickly, but the free T4, which is sort of the end product, is one that doesn't change as quickly. So I would try that. And if it sounds like they've done some of the other things, a liver panel and looking at your liver enzymes too, or looking for other chronic diseases that might be affecting it, that's another good place to look. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Crossroads Film Festival is celebrating its 20th anniversary this year with a series of movies, workshops, and other events. The Jackson Area Festival starts at 2 p.m. on Thursday and runs through the weekend. In a moment, we'll hear from Philip Scarborough, Crossroads Board President. First, festival coordinator Michelle Baker tells about or talks about Crossroads and how it has grown since its earlier days. I've been with Crossroads for nine years now, and I can tell you that Over the nine years that I've been here, we've grown amazingly. Uh, When I first got here, we did films on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We didn't really do workshops. Every once in a while, we would have a couple of guest speakers come in. 
But I think the biggest change that I've seen is that we've scaled back the volume of films to select a much, I hesitate to say higher quality, but that's really how I want to phrase it. We've got the best of the best, the cream of the crop films now. We do more premieres now. Let me ask you this, though. Mm-hmm. How many entries do you get? Ooh. So um, we used to get, when I first started here about a decade ago, about 300. Now we get between four and 600. And I just signed us up to be a gold uh, event on Film Freeway, so I think we're going to get even more. We also have something surprise, surprise, in the works. And if that comes through, then I would anticipate that our submissions will skyrocket. But you're going to leave us hanging with what that I surprise might be. Okay. It hasn't happened yet. Well, tell us about the categories of films that are shown. We have feature films, um, anywhere from 70 to minutes to two hours. Of, uh, that's documentary and fictional narrative. We've got short documentaries, uh, short films, short animations, um, music videos, youth films, films made by youth, and students, college students. It runs the gamut. Michelle, you mentioned premieres. Does that yes? Are those Mississippi films or anywhere? Sometimes they're Mississippi premieres, but we have also hosted world and national premieres. This year, we're going to be showing Native Son. So Native Son is a Mississippi premiere that is based on the story by Richard Wright. We're very excited to have that because that's already been picked up by HBO. So it's not usual that once a film has distribution that a film festival would get it back. Um, We're also going to be showing Always in Season, and I'm very excited about that film. That's another both Native Sun and Always in Season were Sundance, shown at Sundance um, this winter. So we're very excited to host those two films. Do you have entries from outside the United States? Absolutely. Probably about 30% of our submissions each year are global films. You mentioned it used to be just films, and now you have workshops and speakers. And, yes. And is that for the novice, or, or are those workshops geared towards filmmakers, people who are already making films? We have both kinds. We have something, um, we have a cinematography workshop by Roberto Schaefer, and he's the person who um, did the photography for Quantum of Solace, The Kite Runner, Finding Neverland, things that you would know. He is going to come talk about how you translate that vision through the camera into an award-winning Hollywood blockbuster. I think that is a technical workshop, but it's also, I'm interested in that, so I would think that the general public might be interested in that. So we have workshops that are clearly sort of, this is here to make you a better filmmaker, but then we also have things like how to get your kids in the movies, a casting class, that's by um, Cher Foley. So there are there are classes for everybody. We're also having the screenwriter for Coming to America and Saturday Night Live, and he also did The Nutty Professor and The Nutty Professor 2. His name is David Sheffield, and he lives here. So he's coming to talk about writing comedy scripts from the page to the screen. So there, there is something for everyone in the master classes. Let's talk dates now and ticket information. Where can, is there a website people can go? It's www.crossroadsfilmfestival.com. 
The schedule is there. You can buy tickets there. You can buy all access passes there. If you want to come and see every single thing we've got, we can do that for you. Does that include the workshops and seminars? Yes, it does. All right. How's the website again? www.crossroadsfilmfestival.com. Philip Scarborough is the co-founder of uh, and the festival president for Crossroads, and Michelle Baker is the Crossroads Film Festival coordinator. Thank you both for coming in. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Fix It 101. At 10, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online by visiting mpbonline.org. Or you can subscribe to Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Information on how to make good health a family affair is available at BCBS.